The Blevins Franks Report with Rob Kay of Blevins Franks Wealth Management. Well, it's that time on the Sunday morning at Riviera Radio where we talk to Rob Kay. And we've got James a little bit later. How are you, Rob? I'm very well, Howard. Thank you. And what about you? Yes, I'm, I'm very well. Thank you very much. Good. Well, I guess at this time of the year, many of us are sorting out our loose ends and clean up those things we've been putting off. So can we begin the new year with a clean, fresh start? Many of the questions we've received over the past 12 months highlighted the fact that to get things right, we need to know what they are. However, before we discuss what people might get wrong, what caught your eye in the news this week? Well, Howard, I'm, I'm sure anyone who even vaguely follows the UK news will know that the British Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, this week shuffled his cabinet. And in a surprise move, he reappointed ex-Prime Minister David Cameron back into the inner circle of British politics by appointing him to the post of Foreign Secretary. Cameron, who is actually still only 57, resigned as the MP for Whitney seven years ago and to perform the duties required of the Foreign Secretary, a senior minister, he must be a Member of Parliament and represent constituents. Now, the only way to circumvent this requirement was for the now Lord Cameron to accept a life peerage. This is certainly not the first time the life peerage card has been played, but it is now more than 50 years since a former Prime Minister has returned to frontline politics. Cameron said he wants to support Sunak, who is doing a difficult job at a hard time. Although Cameron was, and I assume still is, pro-European, History will show that during his premiership, he arguably made the biggest gamble of any post-war UK Prime Minister by backing the 2016 European referendum, which we all know eventually delivered what's now known as Brexit. Appointing someone who's got, uh, who got the UK opinion on foreign policy potentially so wrong to the position of Foreign Secretary does seem quite a bizarre appointment. Now, across the pond in the US, there was some really good news for, for investors this week. The Bureau of Labor and Statistics announced on Tuesday that US inflation had fallen to an annualized rate of just 3.2% in October, which was below the expectation of 3.3%. Now, prices didn't change throughout the month, which is only the second month since May 2020, when month-on-month inflation didn't rise. The... Uh, the odds that the Fed will keep her rate steady at this December meeting increased to 99.7%, while the odds of a rate hike next year decreased to just 4.1%. The expectation is interest rates will begin to be cut when the central bank meets, potentially in May. And as you would expect, the markets reacted well to this positive news, with US stocks rising for the rest of the week. The UK then followed suit on Wednesday when the Office for National Statistics announced UK inflation had declined sharply in October. It fell from an annualised rate of 6.7% in September to 4.6% in October. A drop in housing prices was largely the the biggest contributor, but the base effect of last year's energy cost increases falling out of the numbers also had a big impact. Despite this dramatic fall, inflation in the UK still remains higher than its neighbours. French inflation is running at 4.5% and in Germany it's now down to 3%. Finally, there was also some good news this week for French workers because 2024 will be a great year for French public holidays. In addition to their annual leave, France also has 11 public holidays each year. 
Now, unlike the UK, if the public holiday falls on a weekend, it's lost. So good holiday years in France are years when public holidays don't fall on a weekend. And the good news is, just one public holiday, the Fête Nationale Bastille Day on July the 14th, will be lost to a weekend. There's also a rare double holiday in May. Wednesday, May 8th and Thursday, May 9th are both public holidays, so I suspect lots of people will be looking to take a potentially very big punt that week. Yes. Well, you just referred to David Cameron's appointment. Is Brexit the main reason why people get things wrong, if I can ask such a question? <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, in, in some ways, it's made the situation worse, Howard, but, but people have been getting things, if you excuse the expression, wrong forever. Brexit and the need to obtain legal authority to stay in France has actually given the arrival process a structure that was, let's say, somewhat flaky before the end of the transition period. If we want to stay in France for more than 90 days, we now know we need a temporary long-stay visa. And if we want to remain in France permanently, there's a process we have to follow and a series of hurdles we need to jump over to be granted a permanent resident visa. We can't use this as an excuse for getting it wrong, but the goalposts do constantly move. And that is especially the case when things are new. If we can't, if we can't still say nearly three years after the end of the transition period, we saw a perfect example of this this week when French senators approved a bill which was an amendment which would give British second home owners automatic long-stay visa rights without any formalities. The amendment has been added to a new article in France's immigration bill which will be submitted to the National Assembly for debate next month. In the new section of today's broadcast, I referred to inflation seemingly being brought under control. But we should remember why inflation has reappeared and it was because our governments pumped billions into the world's economies to keep them afloat and weather the COVID pandemic storm and, in, and the imposed lockdowns. I'm sure there won't be any celebrations, but we're fast approaching the fourth anniversary of COVID-19, when it first, and the anniversary of when it first appeared on our radars. As the pandemic hit and the lockdowns began, the Brexit transition period ended at 11pm on the 31st of January 2020, which coincidentally was the same day the first COVID-19 case was recorded in the UK. Because of what was happening when Brexit happened, we are still coming across issues that have changed because of the Brexit, but many of these issues have been slow to be implemented. So it isn't a surprise lots of people are not clear about what is the right thing to do. So what are the main things we get wrong? Um, probably at the top of my list at the moment is, uh, is what I would describe as arrival planning. Moving where you want to live or moving where you are going to live is, is always a big deal, but it's supersized when that move is to a different country because we need a visa to live in France. It's logical that, that the requirement that or that requirement dominates the arrival process. But there are lots of bits of housekeeping that if they're not done before we move, they can prove to be really quite expensive. Earlier this week, I met a lady who had focused all her attention on arriving. Retiring to France has been her and her husband's dream for well over 20 years. So like many other people, Brexit was a massive frustration and extremely annoying. Anyway, they jumped through all the hoops and officially arrived. Once here, their attention turned to their French property and doing all those jobs that need to be done when a property, which was a secondary property, becomes your main property. 
That was all funded from the sale of their UK, their UK property. When all those things were done, they then focused on living in France. They contacted their UK advisor and she arranged for them to take the tax-free cash from their pensions and start taking income from their UK ISIS, which, of course, are also tax-free. By chance, they listened to one of these broadcasts and discovered the pensions tax-free cash is not so tax-free in France and their tax-free ISIS are also not tax-free. Not planning their finances as well as they plan their visas has cost this couple tens of thousands of pounds. Mistake, or maybe we should describe them as oversights, are not restricted to just new arrivers, those who've been here for years and not exempt. I also spoke to a guy earlier this week who's been here since 1978. He has a car vital and he now has a UK state pension, but he had not applied for an S1. So he's paying the French pension social charge of 9.1%. That amounts to thousands of euros that he should have that should have remained in his pocket. Another lady contacted us because she was horrified when she received a tax bill for the gifts she had made to her children. This was yet another example of people taking financial decisions without taking advice. To, em to emphasise the point we're trying to highlight this morning, taking decisions, assuming French rules, are the same as the UK rules, and we're still thinking French rules don't apply to them. Turning to James, can you explain financial passporting and why people get this so wrong? Certainly. I mean, financial passporting refers to the ability of financial institutions to provide their services and operate freely in other countries within the EU without the need for additional regulatory approval in each country. A lot of banks and financial advisors held licences with the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK and that allowed them to deal with clients in other European countries. It was known that once the Brexit transition period came to an end, this ability to passport a licence from the UK would stop unless an agreement was made to continue this as part of the Brexit negotiations. It seems both, most financial institutions stuck their heads in the sand and hoped or expected a deal would be, would, would be struck, yet it wasn't, and still hasn't been. It's for this reason we've seen several banks removing their banking services for European residents, for example, Coots, Barclays and Lloyds have all uh, removed accounting services, and for everyone trying to get investment advice on their UK investments and pensions, it's very difficult. At Blevins Franks, we placed a high priority on being able to continue giving advice in the UK and Europe, so went through the process of establishing a European regulated business in addition to the UK regulated business, meaning we can continue to look after clients whether they decide to live in France or the UK. So how does France treat and tax UK assets these days? Um, well, I covered how pensions are taxed last week. So just to quickly recap, UK pension income is pulled together with other household income and taxed at the marginal rates of tax in France. What we commonly see is people move to France and retain ICES and premium bonds as they expect them to be tax efficient in France, just as they are in the UK. But this isn't the case. France will tax the gain or interest on UK investments and back bank accounts at 30% under, under the flat tax regime. The flat tax of 30% includes a tax and social charge, but is also applicable to the winnings of premium bonds. A common question we get asked currently is if people should add money to UK savings accounts, as they can get roughly one, a one-year rate of around 4%, which is higher than you can get in France. 
But actually, once you take off the 30%, this will give you a net interest rate of 2.8%, which is lower than, than, than what you get with a livre A. Um, so, so yeah, we, we find rather than using or retaining UK assets, it's much more tax efficient to look to get holistic advice to ensure more of your hard-earned money isn't unnecessarily taken by the taxman. Yeah. Can you explain to listeners what the Surface 3916 is and why it's so important to get this right? So the Surface 3916 is a document to declare all count, accounts held outside of France it's been brought in to try and reduce tax evasion and with the automatic exchange of information, the common reporting standard, we're seeing more and more people being caught out for not declaring these accounts. I'd recommend everyone check these documents to ensure all accounts and investments held outside of France are declared, as fines are often waived for first-time offence if you rectify it yourself. If it's the tax office that comes after you for the mistake you've made, it could be costly. The fine per account is €1,500, and goes up to €10,000 if the account is in a country that doesn't have a tax treaty with France. If this happens, it's almost certain that you'll face the relevant fines and very unlikely that you'll be able to appeal. I also think it's worth pointing out, even if you use a French accountant, it can be a worthwhile exercise to check. We've seen clients receive fines even when they have declared all the correct information to their accountant, and due to the accountants themselves not knowing about the Surfer 3916, have, have received these fines. So, Rob, listeners frequently tell us how important inheritance and succession is to them. How and why do people get this wrong? Um, Blevins Franks has, has been specialising in, in advising British nationals who've moved or retired to Europe for, for close on 50 years now. And all the rule, although the rules and requirements constantly evolve, we spend lots of time, energy and resource keeping up with those changes, understanding what can and what can't be done, then delivering solutions. Many of our clients, well, I suppose most of our clients, are retired British expatriates. We do have some younger clients, but most are retired. Younger working Brits have a completely different set of challenges, which are mainly very French-centric, because from a tax perspective, they're just the same as their French working colleagues. Now, please excuse me from saying this, but logically, if you're retired, you are closer to the exit door than you are the entrance. So your inheritance and succession issues are usually a little bit on focus, shall we say. That said, that isn't always the case, and one of the, the continual challenges we face is explaining why the survivor might not continue the lifestyle they had after their spouse dies. This frequently happens when there are kids from previous marriages or relationships. Many of these kids have been seemingly paired off, but draconian French succession laws and succession taxes can come back to bite when the first spouse dies because their kids are back in the frame with a legitimate claim that is difficult, if not impossible sometimes, to resolve after the event, so to speak. In the UK, you can leave what you want to who you want. You simply make a will. How you were married doesn't impact your testimony wishes. In France, you can make a will and leave your assets to whoever you want. But if those bequests are not aligned to French succession law and French rules of forced heirship, making them will and can be a complete waste of time and money. You ask why or how people get things wrong, Howard. Initially, this will probably sound quite bizarre, but one of the main culprits is making assumptions rather than dealing with facts. Let me give you an example. I was talking to a couple the other week. This lady has one daughter. They treat her as their daughter, but she isn't the husband's daughter. This couple have sold their house and are about to buy a new one. 
The gentleman then told me that they would be buying this house using a clause tontine, which again, he told me that that would mean that they, that the property will pass to the survivor when the first person died. All completely correct. He has all his ducks lined up in a row. However, his assumption is he will die first. The property will pass to his wife. And when she dies, it will pass to her daughter. The daughter's succession tax bill will only be 20% if she inherits the property from her mum. But if her mum dies first and she receives the inheritance from her stepfather, who has no legal or blood ties to her, her tax bill will be 60%. Now, importantly in this situation, the daughter doesn't have the money to pay that tax bill, so she will have to sell the property, probably in a forced sale situation, just to pay the fisc. If we make assumptions, especially with tricky issues such as succession, without taking professional advice, it can prove very easily, very, very costly. Well, clearly after this morning's discussion, getting it wrong is a big issue, financially speaking. So is moving to France still a viable option? <laughs> yeah, the uh, the B word has been used this morning probably more than it has in any of these broadcasts over the past couple of years, Howard. And, and yes, it has had an impact. But from a viability perspective, I don't believe anything has really changed. Still, in 8 out of 10 cases we look at, from a fiscal perspective, when we compare being French resident against being UK resident, France wins hands down, and that situation won't change anytime soon. As we approach 2024, UK tax thresholds are frozen for another four years. Now, unless Jeremy Hunt pulls some sort of rabbit out of his red box when he stands up at the dispatch box on Wednesday and delivers his autumn statement, if that doesn't happen, there have been no rumours in that direction, so to speak. UK taxpayers will continue to pay increasing amounts of UK income tax, certainly more capital gains tax because the CGT allowance hasn't been frozen, it's on a programme of gradually being cut, and definitely more inheritance tax. There will be an election in the UK next year, and despite the recent wobbles, it does look like Prime Minister Starmer will take up occupancy at number 10. And with Labour's spending plans, I can't see how or why they would unfreeze the allowances, which will help fund their financial plans over most of their initial term in government. If you want to live in France or you want to live in a country where for at least the next five years it will preferably be preferentially taxed compared to the UK, France, I believe, ticks all the boxes. But don't just take my word for that. Do the comparison. Sit down with the Blevins Franks partner, explain your situation, Tell them what you want, your aims, your ambitions, maybe even your aspirations. Let us help you to achieve them. If it's not financially viable or financially it will be more expensive, we will compare, contrast and we'll tell you. So if you'd like to understand if your dream of living in France is viable or if you already live here, if financially you can make any improvements, give us a call and arrange to speak to one of our local Blevins Franks partners. Our telephone number is 0493 zero zero one seven eight zero that's zero four nine three zero zero one seven eight zero if it's more convenient to contact our monaco office then by all means contact the telephone number or ring the telephone number of our monaco office which is nine seven 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 five five seven four that's monaco nine seven 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 five five seven four and as we say every week, if you'd like to know more about Blevins Franks, or if it's easier to contact us via the internet, visit our website, which is www.blevinsfranks.com. Many thanks both. We'll talk again at the same time next week, I guess. 
We look forward to it, Howard. Thank you very much. Have a great week. The Blevins Franks Report. If you would like more information on any of the topics discussed in this program, contact your local Blevins Franks office on 0493001780 or Riviera at BlevinsFranks.com. Is your inheritance planning up to date for France? Have you taken steps to protect your family? Cross-border estate planning is more complex than many people realize. You need to plan for many different elements, including taxes and forced airship. Blevins Franks has 45 years' experience helping British expatriates achieve their wishes for their heirs, with personalized recommendations for each family. Contact Blevins Franks today on 0493001780 or at blevinsfranks.com.